Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's happiest podcast network. Hey everyone, and welcome to Bookish. I'm the host, George DeMorellis, and this is a show where we ask, what's your story and what does it say about you? Today, I've got a good friend on the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself and say a little bit about who you are? Thanks, George. It would be a, a great pleasure for me to get to do that. I am Alistair trombley Birchall, and I do podcasts, and I do stand-up comedy, and I do comedy sketch writing, and I'm basically an attempted comedy all-rounder, even if I... Don't necessarily succeed in most of those regards, uh, but that is me. And I'm also a father and a son. Now you just go for the uh, emotional pool as well. I get what you're doing there. Very good angle. Yeah, yeah. I'm also a son, not a father though. Yeah, I'm an uncle. <laughs> Same. Multi- Actually, I am a, yeah. here's one for you. I'm a freshly minted uncle or soon to be. My brother yesterday on Mother's Day announced to everyone um, that he's having a baby with his fiance so that's exciting congratulations thank you so they're gonna have i felt i could smell it on yeah, you a- yeah you got that uncle that new uncle smell <laughs> yeah yeah it's a uh, look it- i'm actually drowning in nephews and nieces at this point i'm the i'm one of four brothers and all three of them have kids now well two of them have kids and this one's now having one on the way so well i think that there's there's less pressure on you and then also more pressure so i apologize to f- for this scenario Exactly. Like that's what I mean. It's like uh, up until yeah. this recent brother, because he was had the fiance. He was like my barrier against any sort of child pressure from parents, because they're like, obviously, I can just be like, he's he's in a committed relationship. Look at him for kids. So now he's screwed me really badly. So now I'm back on the uh, back on the radar from the parents. But onto the topic that's more relevant at the moment with this podcast, we're going to be talking about your favorite book and see if we can find out a little bit about yourself. Do you want to tell everyone what your favorite book is? Uh, yes, I do, George. Uh, my favorite book is a book called White Noise by Don DeLillo, which I believe is how it's pronounced. I, I haven't read this book uh, personally, so I did do a little bit of looking up about it. But still, it's probably better if you give the summary of what it's about. Sure. Um, I think a thing I liked about this book is that for the longest time, it didn't. when you're reading it, it doesn't feel like it's really that much about anything. So uh, there is a story in there, uh, and it's about a guy who is the an academic who is the head of the Department of Hitler Studies at this university, a department that he came up with, and he thought it was a brilliant thing that he came up with it. Um, he he lives with his family. It's a it's like a 
he's he has a few kids of his own from another marriage and his wife Babette has a couple of kids from their marriage. It's a bit, you know, a bit of a Brady Bunch scenario. And uh they all live together in this house and there's a few kind of threads going through it. One is that he is trying to learn German for this for this big conference that he's going to and he's very insecure about about other people who study Hitler and th- that they're going to speak lots of German and that he's not going to be good, good enough. There's a story about his, there's a thread about Babette who one of her kids is noticing is, is always keeping tabs on how much medication she's taking. And, and there's this one bit of medication that they've can't figure out what it is. And there's a few little threads like this, but a lot of it is that it's just kind of conversations. And it's these people who make these like very, very brave pronouncements all the time about, you know, the state of the world and how things are, but they're also, it's also oh, so overly like American and com- consumerism. And he's got this friend who's another academic in sort of pop, pop culture studies. And he's always making statements about the meaning of cereal boxes and the importance of, you know, just the, the, the minute details. It's kind of, it's got, it's, there's almost an element of Seinfeld in it. Like that. So is it actually um, like intentionally funny? I think it's so funny. I find the book so funny, and it took me seven years to read it. <laughs> maybe, maybe more. It's my favorite book because every time I would I would read like three pages, and then I would put it down because I'd go, ha, 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 "This is the best," and then I'd put it down and not touch it for another six months, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a weird way. It's just I haven't been reading that much. But is it like long. intentionally funny? Are you laughing at like is it a turn of phrase they're actually trying to make jokes here, or is it? I think it's it's all humor that kind of comes out of character, but also also kind of parody of American lifestyles. You know, there's there's parts where he kind of like he has a bit of like a sort of a not an anxiety attack, but a sort of like a he's having a bit of a breakdown, and the way that they kind of deal with it is they just go into a a a wild shopping spree the whole family kind of just they're like ah and then i just started buying things and then my wife would hand me something and then i'd buy that and things like that and then it's just kind of everything is fixed through some buying stuff consumerism consumerism yeah yeah and so um just to finish kind of what the what the book is about basically then it the main thread of it eventually becomes uh which is really only in the last few chapters is there kind of it feels like there's a real narrative drive, right? And and that's in the last few chapters, and it is has to, has to do with this uh, this medication that they couldn't figure out what Babette was taking, and it turns out she was taking some experimental drug based on an ad she saw in the newspaper uh, on somebody advertising, "Do you have fear of death, and do you want to treat it?" And so she responded to that, and then it was just she went to some motel, and then some apparent ph- pharmaceutical guy just met her in the motel, and then he gave her this these doses, and then then he wouldn't give her any more. So then she started having sex with him, you know. And then at some point they found out about this, and then they were like the the husband found out about this, and he was like, "Well, I have a greater fear of death than you do, so I should be taking these." And then they have a big argument about who has the greater fear of death. Anyway. There is kind of a narrative in the end, but I don't like. I don't want to entirely ruin it for people, but it's very good. It almost even at the end, it feels like he's making fun of the idea of having a kind of a narrative. That's uh, how very uh, 
postmodern, I guess. And 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 I think that that they they do regard this book as a sort of an early postmodern novel. Oh, I've just forgotten one of the main threads of the book. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mention it. Which one? What is it? Uh, it's that partway through, there's a huge, uh, like chemical spill event in this in the town that they're in, right? And like like a huge cloud of chemicals, either an explosion or like a big leak occurs, that of some, you know, chemical that the effects on humans are not a hundred percent known, and they all have to evacuate their homes and go to a sort of you know an evacuation center out of town. And then eventually kind of come back and there's, there is a part in which then for the sort of second half of that, of the book after that, uh, he thinks that he's dying. The main character thinks that he's dying. Okay. Po- possibly due to the, uh, the, chemical. the chemical event. Yeah. Okay. So oh, mate, this, uh, there's plenty of sort of semi-narratives in this book by the sound of it. Mm. Yeah. So, <laughs> sort of. Yes, yeah. it does sound a bit disjointed though. So it's because it doesn't sound as much classic, like our oh, character goes on journey and learns something sort of thing. It sounds more like some shit happens to some people. Yeah, and I think I think I that kind of that kind of stuff suits me a lot. I mean, but that's if you can make if you can make the 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 reading of that interesting enough, mm. then like then you you are hooked it is like i think often you need a strong narrative drive to kind of keep people reading but if you're if the stuff that you write is can be interesting enough without having that there then i feel like that's a real skill that's why i think i i, I love him as a writer because i felt like it was just so funny most of the way through even without it really being jokes there's even a couple of jokes in there which i'm like ah you shouldn't do jokes this kind of is too apparent as a joke yeah yeah it's too like trying to be like quippy or something mm, yeah yeah like i know what you mean like as in i remember because like obviously the world's obsessed with the hero's journey and all that stuff which like i love a good yeah. story so much but at the same time um there's some notable i don't know i think it was like a video essay or something once talking about uh good examples of non like growth based stories that are fantastic and it's uh one example it gave was ghostbusters ghostbusters one being like oh, here's yeah. a book here's a movie where there is no like their growth happens if there is any in the first 10 minutes of the movie and then that's it there's no <laughs> more growth it's just adventure it's just fun it's just getting these yeah. characters and making stuff happen to them and it's like a phenomenal movie so it's like it's funny how people get obsessed with that idea of the cliche oh character goes here learns something comes back get improved whatever it's like you can do it without it it just is going to be a different sort of experience i guess you're going to be saying yeah, something and, different i guess and we sense. do want different experiences right it's so strange that because we've, we've just looked we've just looked at what works and then we've we've seen a sort of a common thread <laughs> and then we go well this is what it needs to be for it to be good but like even with that is like actually should i have do you like and it's fine to be honest with this do you read much or do you engage in the book world much i have not been reading as much in the last 10 years <laughs> and but I am, I am piling up the books that I have. Man, ten um, years of recommendations—that thing would be yeah. a mountain. I even have a guy who listens to my podcast, Brian, who just has been sending me books. And yeah, and it's like, and, and, and I open them up, and I and I find them really interesting. But I've just, I haven't yet been able to plow my way through it. So I have been listening to a few books recently because then I can. I can justify the time 
by doing it while I'm running or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been doing a bit a bit more of that recently. That's good. I mean, aud- Audible or something like that. Yeah, that both Audible and pirated things. Yeah. Okay. That's a. Are you reading a lot? Yeah, well, you know, I've got, <laughs> I'm almost obligated to at this point because I've started this bookish podcast and stuff, but I've always read like pretty much, I'm always reading something like yeah. my whole life. So, yeah. Yeah, I've got, I've got stuck in kind of just reading the day-to-day news and things like that and, and articles and things. And I think that's kind of what's pushing me a bit more back towards books is that I'm sort of sick of <laughs> the news and I feel like articles are not providing the same amount of research and things like that that goes into making a book. So um, I'm not, like, you know, I've been listening to a bit more science fiction, but now I'm also listening to like a nonfiction book about, uh, about consciousness and whether this, about this, this physicist and neurosurgeon guy or neuro, uh, uh, not surgeon, but whatever, somebody who studies the brain and about uh, whether or not there's, there's a possibility, a theory that like consciousness might be the fundamental property of the universe. <laughs> Okay. The starting point on which everything built is built on. What's that book called? Uh, it is called. This is me. <laughs> really showing you depth. Down <laughs> in the, yeah, it's it's me slowing down my talking so that I can open up Audible and say it's called "The Case Against Reality: Why okay. Evolution Hid the Truth from Our Eyes." And that sounds very uh like. Uh, meditation sort of thinking, I guess. Is it like yeah, it's, in a vague it's way, more like, like that realm? Yeah, it's a bit like that. It's more like uh, like stoner philosophy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> kind of... you know someone's like, man, like this is all a hologram, man. <laughs> we don't know what's going on, man. Yeah. I, I just like, I like, I don't have any religion or anything like that in my life. So th- sort of, you know, like finding out what theories are at the at the edge of physics and philosophy and things like that those are the kinds of things that allow my mind to feel wonder yeah you know i think and i don't know i just i just enjoy that i feel comfort in it no that's uh def- like in sometimes it might not be that com- comforting but uh no i agree like i think that that side of things is can be super interesting uh like yeah i've 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 ventured into that although that one sounds a bit intense yeah i think like i mean a lot of it a lot of it his thing is just like um he is kind of like this idea that is 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 a tomato there when you close your eyes and no one's perceiving it. There is an element in which that's all he's kind of talking about, but then he's also giving a lot of the background into the thinking to get to that point. But then it's this other stuff about, you know, is because they can't figure out how consciousness emerges from non-conscious things, you know, like a bunch of neurons and things like that. He's like, well, are we looking at it the wrong way? Is there a chance that consciousness is something else or is like you know or or there's already consciousness in things or mm. i don't know yeah it, it is though all based in science and that's kind of you know yeah it's nice i know it sounds like i yeah that stuff's cool i just don't know if it's a, it does sound like it's going a bit too far down the metaphysical sort of like uh i'm always like consciousness is just a fluke of the brain <laughs> to deal with stuff yeah like well the, <laughs> sure but as a scientist, that's not like that's not like a great endpoint for you. You go, ah, it's nah, a fluke. we're done. <laughs> yeah, finished. I've, Just I've, because I've, it's like it's emerged so many times through various things that you go, well, there's got to be something to this. Mm. 
Like, like as in, cause, but what is consciousness? Are we including like animals and stuff in that sort of thing? I would definitely do it. I think that it's all the same stuff because it's, we've all evolved from each other. So we're just kind of, you know, there's an element in which, you know, uh, we, there, ours is just a slightly more evolved version of theirs. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, I imagine that they, uh, have you ever seen like an ant get freaked out because you're putting your finger near it? It's <laughs> no, just, it's God, like, just go put your fingers, like, you know, go tap near an ant and watch it freak out and go, there's like, oh, this thing is is thinking and responding. It's not like, I think those ideas that all animals had just instinct, I feel, I think is kind of, I think we're, we're, we're past that now. I don't think they think like that. I think it's all like a version of consciousness. Yeah, well, I guess that's why, like, uh, we, we've just totally flown off from the original topic. But I do want to talk about this because I reckon, <laughs> but that's actually <laughs> what I reckon is proof there of almost the opposite of saying consciousness is uh, some fundamental building block. Because I would almost argue that um, you've got a scale of like intelligence or like scale of moving beyond instinctual thought. So you'd be like, insects mm. might be right down the bottom where they're still moving, but they're pretty much on that frame and then you got all the way up to like humans obviously and then like dolphins up there and then like going down from mammals mm-hmm. lizards and all the way down so what what i would kind of think is that you're seeing how each step of the way the thing whatever the being the animal including humans gets more able to reason um which it benefits it in the environment because it can better adapt to any situations thrown at it in a faster scale than waiting for its genes to update so mm. That's why I'm almost like, well, so you're seeing it. So you're seeing, obviously, with humans, it's crossed some sort of threshold to then we can build stuff and we can do everything. Like, as in, so that's the difference between us and like a dolphin or whatever is like probably not that big a difference from whatever, but it's enough that we've now got this extra ability, which, and probably we've got hands as well. Um, that that's kind of why I do think of it more like it's just a product of the system itself. It's almost like it's the evolution of reasoning rather than something else like as in your brain is getting better and better and better at figuring stuff out faster and eventually gets to a point where it can do it 50 times faster if it can think like completely uh abstractly kind of because i think mm. that's kind of what humans can do more so than anyone else is really think in that abstract form um and that and that ability supercharges your ability to think sort of but it's actually not that big a difference from the stuff before it it does happen to be different but it's not like Huge, but I, I guess I'm kind of talking about sentience there rather than just uh, like I yeah. think therefore I am um, rather than consciousness, which is yeah across the board. But but it's still just crazy that something can look at something and f- and feel something based on looking at that thing. Those kinds of things, like it's the <laughs> it is the idea of experience that is the very interesting part of that. Like how can something begin to experience? How does a bunch of meat start to experience? It's that's the part that kind of science can't get any kind of grasp on. Is it? Because like, yeah, I guess so what you're saying there, and I, cause I, I don't know how much of it you've read or if you read other stuff, so you can give me some more illumination on this. Cause like, I would say, um, again, from the meat point of view, cause I, I'm like a, <laughs> I'm a big, like depressing fan. Like as in whatever's the most boring sciencey answer to anything, I'm always like, it's probably that. <laughs> like yeah. I'd love for it to be more interesting, but it's probably, the boring one, you know? So like, yeah. even, even with that concept of the meat staring at something, I'd be like, well, all it's doing is designing better and better ways for that meat to respond to the environment to be able to sustain itself for longer. And that involves it 
um, building up these routines, like as in feeling fear when it's hot or like whatever. And then that routine gets more and more advanced to the point where now you learn to look at something else because that is good at helping you, your genes in general survive is having that process in it. So then that's why Mm. now you feel stuff when you look at that. It's because your brain has got the imagination part, which is for it to be able Mm. to survive and work out lots of scenarios to get by. But then part of that means that you feel things when you look at other stuff now. That's like an offshoot of it. Yeah. Sort of, do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, think yeah, because you're kind of talking about the evolution of it, like how it happens and like the extra the extra senses and the extra little powers that you kind of get or the extra computations that you can kind of make. Yeah. But it still is interesting the point where it goes from, you know, uh, possibly a, you know, a, a single-celled organism that reacts to to stimulus around it, you know, and kind of moves away from something that feels like it's hurting it or moves towards something that seems appealing or that they can absorb and blah, 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 mm. to to there being somebody behind the eyes, <laughs> you know, yeah. to their, to like when, when you get to that point where you're like, you're feeling everything. I mean, maybe, maybe a cell has some kind of, you know, person behind the little gangly <laughs> uh, <laughs> protrusions or whatever, like, you know, that, that is kind of feeling it and, and experiencing it on a low level, but it's still that part that to me is the, is the mesmerizing part where, where some, something gets to be, you know, in the, where, whereas a rock, whilst it just sits there doesn't get to ever experience and i think it's just that that ma- you know like like that magic level on how somebody goes from just being like a like an amateur to how do they magically become a a highly paid pro it's that that magical leap is is almost as interesting as the the magical leap on how some uh, some things that are not conscious become <laughs> a magically conscious thing that has something behind their eyes that can experience and feel things Fuck, I went okay. on a tangent there. You know, I'm I'm loving it. We, we, let's let's push you. Like you've given me so much to work with. We still haven't even discussed Hitler yet. But anyways, <laughs> um, and your many thoughts on that now. Um, but when you're saying that, what do you mean by that switch from like uh, amateur to uh, professional? Like when you say that, do you mean like uh, you can like where they're famous, or do you mean more like your you can tell when someone's gone from your skills here? To your skills there and are you saying that happens quickly no i'm saying that like as somebody who um you know i'm involved in the kind of comedy world or you mm-hmm. know and i know know people in the music world and stuff like that you know like when you go from just being a person who gigs like you and i do mm-hmm. right um to to being somebody who's let's say like ronnie Chang, who is now you know kind of on top of the world in comedy and is like has stuff on netflix and has works for the daily show and you know has his own television show that those kind of things there is a leap there that requires some kind of unpredictable magic that you cannot you know as as the person down in the amateur levels you cannot concoct that yourself there's an element of luck and and uh right place, right time, but also being seen by the right person. And nobody has the kind of this, the same path really to, to go from that amateur to that thing. And so um, I kind of, I, I just kind of consider that a, a bit of a magic leap that you, all you can do is create the best stuff that you can, mm. but then it's kind of the environment itself. It's the world around you that decides whether or not that you get to make that leap and go to the, you know, there's some people that it might seem it's more, it's more likely, yeah. You know, but <laughs> I, can, I but, love that but in your head. You just pictured people who it seems less likely. 
with that yeah. laugh. <laughs> like there's some people who are more likely, and some people yeah, who are less but, likely. <laughs> but there's there there is a version of the world where that doesn't happen for many of the people that you think are huge. Mm. Like, you know, many of the people who are huge. Sorry, I mean, like you know, there there is a world in which a, a guy like Seinfeld mm. didn't didn't have the opportunities available to him to to bring him to the to the yeah. you know to take him to the top. I definitely think there's like there is. I almost think that's a factor of being in the industry for a little bit longer is when you start seeing especially um, those people, like the ones where you're like, you are so talented, you're so good, but yet you just haven't, for some reason, you're just not going past this point. It's so strange because like you're you're so talented. Like I just think of several comics that I've seen where I'm like, these guys are really, really good. For some reason, they're just not, yeah, for some reason, just don't seem to break through to that next level so yeah yeah i know exactly well there's i think i think there's an there's an element here in australia now where that just there aren't the opportunities for those people or you know there's there's a sort of there's a few there's a few management companies and things like that and it's Mm -hmm. about their perception of how you turn somebody into you know or how they see that they can make money from people you know and then what are the markets available in that way in the way that they see it anyway all that's to explain that, that I mean that that's what I consider that magical gap going from being some regular schmo at open mics or doing regular gigs to being like big superstar that, that yeah, it's kind of seems like this weird impossible thing. And I was likening that from being a bunch of meat on a, let's say on a laying on a rock yeah, <laughs> to being a bunch of meat that has somebody behind the eyes that is experiencing through the meat's uh, sensory organs. <laughs> Like I feel like it was a long bow, but I'm glad we. we I'm glad you it, drew it. It definitely was a long bow, but basically, non-conscious things are amateurs, and yeah. conscious things are pros. Very judgmental. In fact, yeah. you're really selling yourself short there. You're really tearing apart all us. No, I am a slab you're, of meat on a rock. You're a rock. You're not even a slab of meat. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay, uh, I feel like we've gotten some insight into you very early <laughs> into the yeah. recording. Well, but, I'm an open book, and I, I, I'm loving it. I uh, no, just because like to actually go down that slightly longer. The only thing I would say is uh, I don't know if you've um, is the theories that are kind of exist, and I can't I can't remember any reference right now. But we're being like in terms of consciousness uh, that it is kind of a fluke. Like not a fluke, but it's like it's our way of comprehending the fact that we are just kind of reacting to everything. You know what I mean? Like as in we we are ultimately are just that thing that's reacting to stuff around us, but then we've got this conscious overlay which might actually not be as true as we think it is. Like, you know, I've seen a study once where I was talking about some guy. This is this is so, I hate when people do this and I'm doing it right now, because I'm going to poorly describe a study. I think I read Great. somewhere once. <laughs> but ba- it's so annoying when people do it, but I, I'm, I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> it was like where like, I don't know whether someone had an injury or whether like somehow they'd done it where the hemispheres of their brain weren't speaking to each other. And they would do a yeah. thing where like they would have one hand do one thing and do have the other hand do something else. And the person would connect the two things um, as if they'd chosen it, even though they had no choice over it. Like one hand would be grabbing an egg and the other hand would be grabbing a rake and they'd be like, why are you grabbing these two things? And he'd be like, oh, I'm grabbing it because the egg is what you, you need to have a rake to dig up the ground so you can have a good place to build a hen coop to lay eggs or something like that. Like mm. they would find the fact that if you just place 
these like, things. I don't understand the full context of the study, so this isn't very helpful. Well, there's an there's an element of the, uh, discussing something like that in this book where he talks about people with a certain kind of epilepsy. Uh, I think maybe in the 80s or 90s they had some treatment for it, which is they realized is that they could just cut the connection between the two hemispheres of the brain. And right. that was stopping people having a huge amount of fits, right? And one uh, one of the effects, though, is that they noticed that both of the hemispheres actually have their own separate consciousness. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so there would be parts where they would just trial things where like... So I think like, let's say the speaking part of you is only one of the hemispheres. But yeah. let's say, you know, like, you know, your left hemisphere, I think, controls your right hand and your right hemisphere controls your left hand. And I think maybe the right hemisphere was involved with controls the talking. So let's say you showed something only to one eye. Like you showed two things, but but each thing was only shown to each separate eye. Mm-hmm. And the person who's speaking, like, you know, the, the hemisphere that speaks has only seen the thing that the left eye has seen. But the person who... The, but the but the person who controls the right hand has seen the, the thing side, yeah. that the that the other side and so he could write down the answers of what with his right hand what he saw with that eye yeah but he he couldn't consciously know it <laughs> and yeah. say it Okay, this sounds like actually the exact same thing that I was talking about by some fluke. Mm. <laughs> We've managed to tie yeah. it back to the book. Amazing. All right. Um, yeah. But, so, but doesn't, like, that's the point. Something like that makes me think that it's all very, very physical rather than um, something yeah. else. Oh, you know I what think I, mean? I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that there's, there's a ton of, of you know, it's, it, is, it is physical. I think that when the guy talks about consciousness being fundamental, I don't think he's saying that there's consciousness out there in the world and we're just kind of tuning into it. Mm. Um, I think he's, I think his idea is that the universe that we see is consciousness. <laughs> um, and I don't exactly understand what he means. I'm not that far into the book. But, but the way that he describes it basically is that he says that our senses do not show us the universe as it is, right? Yeah. Um, and while for a long time people and a lot of people still do believe that the that people have believed that uh, that our eyes and our senses show us the physical world as it is, um, he was doing some mathematical uh, models that basically state that uh, showed that. If you have two exact same creatures and one sees the world as it is and the other one sees the world in a way that is tuned to fitness, like to, to, to finding food, to finding mates and things like that, that one always has an advantage. And so right. his... Which makes sense because you can block out all the stuff you don't need to know. Exactly. And so the, yeah. the metaphor that he uses is basically that... Um, if you, it's like it's like a the icon on your desktop for Outlook or for email, say, right? When you click on that, right, and you go and use your email, um, in the computer, like in the actual, you know, behind the scenes in the computer, the file doesn't actually look like that. It's just organized the information in such a way that makes it easy to use, mm-hmm. right? 
And he's saying that that's kind of what the brain does for us. It, the universe might not look like this. It might not even look like anything. It's who knows. I don't know. I, I don't know why I said that, but that was, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, it makes but, actually makes perfect sense. Um, like that stuff, it, I totally understand because I mean, you can't take in everything at once. You have to focus on certain things and even frame mm. certain things automatically so the brain that does that better is immediately going to be in a better situation to kind of act which you would have needed yeah. to do until very recently yeah so anyway i look i've i've really taken you on a long part but that this kind of but this is the kind of stuff that like i love hearing this and i don't know why it makes me feel good but there's just an aspect of it that i just yeah i get a real kick out of it and it it feels like i think it, it just kind of feels like we're you know you're we're getting closer to something bigger or get something, you know, and I guess in the end, we're all just looking for like a theory. We just want some theory to be true. That means that really we don't die at the end. <laughs> you know, oh, I just shit. really, what you, what do you want? You know, like really you're just hoping that this goes somewhere and he goes, and turns out when you die, your consciousness just like lives in this conscious fields, this consciousness field somewhere and you, and and you don't die. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, so, that, so you have to, so you can stop worrying about that, guys. Uh, oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, to be honest, that's a real weight off my mind. <laughs> oh, man. You're, uh, you're, that's what I was hoping you would say. <laughs> is it so much to ask? <laughs> yeah, just, can you just say it and then, just, you know? Use some fancy talk. I won't know what's going on. God, just say consciousness enough times. I'll believe yeah. you. Is that yeah. so? What does that weigh on you a bit? <laughs> the concept of death, of death. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd love to not die. I think a lot of people think that like immortality would be a burden. I think it'd be nice. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, like I think it would be potentially a burden. But see, you know what I always thought? I'm like, yeah, it sounds like a burden. But like imagine you could just cut out the part of your brain that got burdened by it. <laughs> Then you'd yeah, be fine. See? Yeah, and but also if you had an eternity to live, right? Mm-hmm. That's just, if we could find a cure for decapitation, because that's the problem with any, with any like live forever kind of thing. You could still get decapitated, right? Okay. You know, even if you had some, even if you had some medication that allowed you to live for three hundred years, there's mm-hmm. just, you know that we still don't. Ha- we've never found a cure for decapitation. I feel like funniest part. I think if they did invent it now, you, I feel like you wouldn't go outside out of fear of decapitation. That's right. Because <laughs> before you're like, if I get decapitated now, I'm only living seventy eight years. Who cares? 
But if I'm yeah. losing 230 years in this bitch, I'm not going outside. No, of course. It's like, now it's too valuable. Life is even more valuable. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Look, that's, uh, uh, right now, my, my life means nothing. I'm a rock. <laughs> I'm a piece of must. <laughs> uh, I think we're getting some interesting insights there. But like, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I think you'd... Because even the concept of the tiredness, you're like it's very, very. It's a, it's a thing people love to do in writing, almost like because I think it's got a poetic nature to it. The idea of death as the big sleep because you're so tired from life and stuff like that, and you see it referenced mm. in so many movies and stories and stuff. Being like, you know, I just want to go to rest now. And you're yeah. just like, do you really want to do that? <laughs> just is that your way of yeah. dealing with getting old or whatever? Well, I think, I think, I mean, if there is a benefit to getting old, it's that I guess you are you become uncomfortable all the time and then you kind of want to die, I guess. <laughs> it's like, ah, I guess dying ain't going to be so bad. And so this, there's less struggle, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's just life is just like about 40 years of just priming you so that you are up for dying. Yeah, exactly. Basically. And you're like, ah, this is going to be sweet. Can't wait. <laughs> Rubbing your hands. It's just it's just making every day slightly shitter until finally you're like, I'd rather die than be alive. Yeah. It is too uncomfortable. <laughs> That's, I mean, look, you, you might not be wrong in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's just, it's just, it's just my, my, my running theory. But I think if, if these people who are like working towards, you know, stopping death you know age-related death and there are people like in silicon valley and that kind of stuff mm. um who are doing that uh if they can remove at least those negative parts of aging then uh i guess it will be good that you know we'll be healthier for longer but then it won't reduce our <laughs> our, our will to live so it just make dying it's, that much more depressing in other words. Oh, dying will be so depressing. He was so young, relatively speaking, compared because of the medication he took. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a valid point. So really, so we've got to stop this research or make us live longer. That's the two options. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, or, or release, release the sort of uh, the make us live longer thing at the same time as the alleviating old, the old age disease and stuff like that. You know, it's like bringing your entree and your main out at the same time, just so you don't. I don't know why. Why you would do that? But it's just what it made me think of. <laughs> you just sometimes really reach for analogies. Yeah, no, and I know. And I grab one. It doesn't mean if it's it doesn't mean it's relevant, but I've got one. <laughs> it's it's postmodern analogies, man. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. I'm commenting you know, on the nature meaning of in analogies. Is, yeah. <laughs> It's very meta. <laughs> it's, <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. But no, I think uh, look valid valid point. I don't know. Uh, yeah, look, I, I I like. Do you so? Do you reckon? Let's go. Let's go casually into this rather large topic. You reckon you die and nothing happens? You are you you think that's the case, but you're hoping it's not. Is that what kind of what you're saying? Um, yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much my thinking. I think. Uh, I mean, I think. Look, I think as I as I fade away, there's going to be a little good bit. <laughs> where my brain kind of will do a whole bunch of weird stuff as mm. it's kind of like going like, oh shit, we're lacking oxygen. Let's show you a whole bunch of stuff. Like, mm -hmm. you know, or like have some kind of crazy dream mm. type thing. Um, and I reckon that'll last, you know, it'll, it'll probably feel like it lasted for ages. Cause I know, I remember some friends uh, that I knew were, um, I don't know, 
somehow in the nightclub scene in Sydney, they got into this thing called King Rushes, right? Which is where they would already be on ecstasy pills or MDMA or whatever. And then they would do this thing where they kind of hyperventilate <sighs> like that. And then they would hold their breath. One person would hold their breath. And then another person would come behind them and just squeeze them while they hold their breath. And then they would, and then they would pass out. <laughs> the person would pass out and then they would kind of like, and then they would sit down on the ground, like, like they would sit, sit them down on the ground up against the wall or something. And then when the person woke up, which is only usually like, you know, within the next 20 seconds or something like that, 20, 30 seconds, they would wake up, but they would feel like they had been gone for like a month. <laughs> right? What the fuck? So I reckon there'll be a bit of that as you're fading away. You'll be like, fuck, what a crazy long dream. And then you'll just disappear. And then it won't be, I don't think it'll be bad. I don't think it'll feel bad or anything like that. And even if it does feel bad, it won't matter because you'll be dead afterwards and you won't be able to, remember it or feel you it. You won't be able to give a rating to it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you uh, know, it's I've just <laughs> yeah. I've I've heard of so many things. Seriously. I'm not like out of touch. I didn't think I was, but this is like I've never heard that before in my life. Like yeah, it's King Rushes. It's King so Russia. it just sounds so dangerous in a weird way. Like <laughs> Yeah. Like, well, like it, either it's not depriving. It's it's either depriving or flooding your brain with oxygen, maybe. I've never, yeah, that's, 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 I can't even imagine what, how do people even do, ugh. like, thank you, you've, you've taught, you've blown my mind. I did not know that yeah. existed. Like, bloody Sydney people, tell you what. People love to party. <laughs> They're really stepping it up. Like, that's, yeah. I guess maybe now the only, the way you do that is like, uh, bangs? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But then you don't like, pass think- out though. <laughs> They're intentionally passing out. Yeah, that's right. Because you don't black out. You just kind of like something goes over your vision and you kind of see this other world for a little bit, right? Yeah. But that's... Yeah. Like, as in, it's just, it's just, yeah, I think it, you don't go unconscious or anything. But... No. I love that you're framing your entire concept of what happens when you die based on dudes doing MDMA in a club. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that thing. It's like, it's like a weird thing where due to you doing something weird to your brain, either flooding it with oxygen or depriving it or whatever that was that they're doing, um, that your brain kind of reacts in some odd way like that. <laughs> That's yeah. But I think death will be a bit like that. I don't know. I watched some video on, on YouTube once of this is either YouTube or, or Facebook of this lady who's often spends time with people who, you know, she works in a hospice or whatever. And she just described the process of dying and it actually was really soothing. It was kind of like she just, like, you know, she just basically said that, you know, people start to kind of like make a bit of a weird sound when they're, when they're breathing, like their breathing kind of gets a little bit shallower, but then they kind of start to make this weird, that kind of weird sound. And she, I think she said that's kind of what people refer to as like a death rattle. And basically all it is, is that you become kind of so relaxed, kind of like going to sleep that you don't think or bother to swallow any saliva that collects at the back of your throat (laughs) and then eventually you kind of just fade away so like you know fade off and you're gone and so and i was like oh that's actually kind of nice at least to think of it if it if you get to have one of those (laughs) it that it's no different really to falling asleep (laughs) yeah yeah like it sounds sounds better than decapitation potentially yeah but as long as if the decapitation happens fast enough that'll be all right but yeah you don't want it to be like with an axe or something like that. No, you don't want to be blind. Not French, not French Revolution styles. Um, yeah. 
They used to take like 10 goes, apparently, the guillotine to oh, actually chop the head off. Oh, oh. Yeah. That, <laughs> that yeah, blunt. I reckon you'd be pretty anxious after that first one. <laughs> no, you reckon you'd be pretty anxious being the one behind the guy who just had that. Like, if oh you want to think God. about the most horrific experiences in humankind, imagine being the guy next on the gallows and they just took 17 hits of the guillotine to get the last oh. person. Like, that's. Yeah. I reckon maybe, maybe that's why they should have a bag on your head, one of those Hessian sacks. Yeah, I don't think they were too concerned about. I don't know if the French peasantry were too concerned about what the uh, people heading to the gallows were seeing. To be honest, no, you know? goddamn, that's I know that's, that's disrespectful. <laughs> Those bastards, the bloody. It's rude, French. is what it is. <laughs> Indeed, Ugh. at least not to cover their eyes. But uh, so we've gone. <laughs> Look, we've done a lot of talk on uh, death, which sounds like it is the topic in the book. Um, yeah. And uh, consciousness, which also sounds like it's very much a topic in the book, and it's because yeah. it because like well those the, I'm get, I don't even know if those are overtly what the book's about or whether it's kind of like just one of the many things it hints at in this rich tapestry. Um, it is a real tapestry, yeah. Yeah, but like the other side of it, uh, I guess to check suss out something else though is like because I want to go back to this again because it's funny. I've seen your I saw your sketch show last year, I think. Uh, some magma yeah yeah magma yeah, yeah i saw oh, that cool. last year um uh where you and your um wait what's his name again your partner? andy matthews andy matthews yeah you guys did the sketch show which is kind of like it's because even in that you could almost say this is like i would actually let's say so i've seen your sketch before including magma and i think some other stuff as well and it is very much fall into that category i think of more uh self-aware meta sort of deconstruction sort of stuff not in like a douchey sure. way but i feel like that's kind of what's an element of what you're doing when you do your sketch stuff does that does that sound fair yeah i think you? i think there's an element of like you know we've we've consumed a lot of comedy and so there's i think there's an element in that we i think yeah i think that informs what we're doing in some regard i don't know if we're always self-referencing but we're you know that, yeah, no, that one we that one we're kind of we committed to the characters a lot more than we have in previous times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to make it sound like it was actually an engineering presentation in the way that we were doing it. Yeah, which I think is always a uh, yeah. I, th- I don't know. When it comes to character, I think it's always better when the person commits a bit more to it. So uh, like, yeah, I, re- I, I really like that show. That was really fun. Well, thanks very much. We just we just recorded it um, so that we could actually now release it. <laughs> Oh, you can it's do a it real on, pain yeah. in the ass having to relearn the whole thing. And from now on, I'm only going to record things while they're fresh in my mind. It is funny how that happens. Like even in, in between when you do festivals and even when you have like a month, between, like let's say if you do like Perth or something and then you go like, and then you go to Melbourne, which is like three months later, it's like amazing. You go, you're all cocky going in and then you're like, oh shit, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Oh no. You, you have that first night where you're like, oh shit, I missed the whole section. This, is, this show was meant yeah. to go for way longer than 35 minutes. Um, first night of any festival is just like i feel like i always die a horrible death <laughs> it's like i have to like remember how to do comedy again yeah it's uh it can be stressful although the good thing about when you're doing it with a partner like that is uh you've got each other you get to die a shared death which is always i feel so much yeah. better totally I mean, yeah you can hug afterwards and cry in each other's arms <laughs> whereas <laughs> Whereas, like, you know, you go and do Edinburgh or whatever and you have a really horrible night and you're just like, 
<laughs> just feel it by yourself. Yeah, you just in your own arms. I once had a night so bad. I did, I've only done Edinburgh once. You've you've been over a few times, right? Yeah, yeah, I've done it a few times. Yeah, and I once had my 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 now wife was there and she was doing sound, but I had a a gig one night in some venue that was so bad where I just kind of like I ended up focusing on the in on this guy who was making it clear he wasn't enjoying the show. <laughs> And I re- and I really made the night even worse. Yeah. And then at the at the end, she kind of walked up and went, "Oh, Al." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that's how I'm feeling inside." But it's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even at least again, at least I guess you had someone to share that with. But uh... yeah, I know, or at least. I could. I, had, I got to feel shame from even the person who's closest to me in my life. But, but that I was mean, nice. that's it was it's okay. never a good move when you're like, like you can give it to the person who's not paying attention if you're kind of doing all right. But if you're not doing great and you start giving it to someone who's not giving attention, the whole audience is going to be like, brutal. That's hilarious. So then you're like, I'm going to do duo shows from now on. Um, yeah, yeah, that can that can weigh on you. Is that the is that the worst bomb you can remember? Oh. I mean, I had another one in in Adelaide once where I was just performing to two people and one of the people was yelling at me. Yelling at you? And yeah, I think she got upset about something. It was like a couple that was there and she got upset by something I said or something like that. And then she's like arguing with me and I'm like, what? <laughs> like you all know, good comedy like, shows. <laughs> yeah, you go, well, is it argument. really worth continuing? Should we just end here now? <laughs> I think that's what I did. You're really like you're really playing bad gig bingo with what you're telling me here. <laughs> Should we just hand yeah. here now, guys? <laughs> uh, it's well, classic. It's, I think that's the question you ask yourself all the time when you're, when you're doing this. Uh, definitely, especially in Should Adelaide. Let here? me tell you, that, that place a, is a great. That's a great place to go and die. I would love to. You know, if if ever I could one day have a profile in which people actually bother to come out and see your shows, I'm sure it would be, could be a great place to do gigs. Yeah, um, maybe. That's a, I yeah, agree. Maybe. Yeah, that's a definitely a possibility. I can't, like, I can't claim to have firsthand knowledge of it, but uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's a, as an idea, <laughs> it's sound. Uh, it sounds like it could be. <laughs> There's just potential to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, I like where your heads at. All right, but um, but look, so going back to that though, so you, you, so okay, maybe your style though, like the only reason I guess I was saying, and I'm not saying like when I described the sketches that I saw as being like self-aware, not in like an annoying first-year student, oh, look at us, we know what we're doing kind of way, but more in like, yeah, it's informed by um, comedy. It's not like you're doing the basic stuff. You've, you've, seen, you've obviously seen a lot of stuff and it's built on that. Uh, would you say that's kind of like, I'm guessing it's not intentional. It is just because you've seen so much and that's kind of what you gravitate towards. But Mm. I'm not even sure how to phrase this as a question. I've just kind of, it's just interesting because like obviously as a novel you've chosen something which is more modern in terms of how it's not narrative based and it's not kind of relying on some of the stuff which has been there before. And I'm wondering yeah. if that that's interesting because how that relates maybe to how you perceive doing your own stuff. If you know yeah, what I mean. I think I think you're probably you're right to, to a certain extent. I think there's there's a lot of wanting to try to find something original that you can do that's a little bit different um because i mean even though this is a sketch show that we did do it was like it's it's still technically you know like we're we're almost doing it like a play but like you know but not taking it 
as serious as a play. You know, we would never want to be called a play, but it's kind of like it's one long sketch in which we've managed to to cram in actually tiny little sketch ideas, mm. uh, and that people use as analogies or whatever, you know, or as just little traits. Um, but it's really just an attempt to try to like find yourself a place in which you know it's not that diff- different from evolution. You're trying to find yourself a little niche where you can stand out and stand to be a little bit different, but also whilst basically like trying to do your best work. And I think that so far was probably the, the best work that I've that that we've done over the ten, eleven years now that I've been in this. And so it was nice that it kind of felt like it came together. And that was the first time that we ever felt like people gave a shit about <laughs> us putting on a show as well. So that was kind of nice as well. All right, like is in the reaction from it and stuff from the people who came and saw it. Yeah, yeah. Like it was a nice reaction, and it was the first time you could you could see a few important people coming. Oh, okay, right. You know, like, yeah. and and it wasn't like it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge thing because, like, you know, like we we only sold out, you know, a handful of times, maybe like five or six or something like that. But mm. you could see near the end that some of the people that were coming were kind of elders in the industry not necessarily comedians but people who are like you know on the sort of sidelines a little bit like that and you go oh that's cool because this was the first time we probably really tried to do a show that was really the kind of thing that makes us laugh you know and so like the kind of jokes and whereas i don't feel like i'm i'm quite there with my stand-up my stand-up i don't feel is like is at the level of what that was, even though this year I was trying to go back to doing stand-up before the comedy festival was canceled. I was trying yeah. to do a, a, like focus on that a little bit more. Uh, I still don't feel like it's kind of being as original or has a kind of as clear a, of its own voice or whatever as the sort of these engineers characters that we had had. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, that, I guess I know what you mean, like as in you're trying to find a way to both be yourself, but also, and be funny. I guess <laughs> in like, yeah, you have your own unique take on things. Um, but then also obviously be enjoyable for everyone to come along and check out in a weird way. Yeah, absolutely. And also finding a way that it was like this, this, the magma show was kind of easier to write for us. Like writing in those voices was much easier for us. And it avoided a lot of the stuff that I kind of dislike about my own stand up sometimes where it's like, uh, where it feels like I'm just trying to come across as smart (laughs) sometimes and i go ugh, i don't want to be taken seriously and so yeah. you know so oh, like man, this i know that feeling like as in yeah i'm always i'm always very very self-conscious of that like ever wanting to sound like lecturing or sound like smarmy i guess i don't know yeah. that's something which i'm always very kind of aware of um, yeah totally and so exactly so it's like this kind of had a, these characters kind of had a way of undercutting that a little bit. You could sound like you're starting to say something intelligent and then, you know, undercut it a lot more with, uh, you know, some dumb interpretation on it or, you know, by, or making you seem like, you know, it's just a setup for a joke or whatever, which is probably what I should be doing with my stand up anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, that's honestly, I can totally, I know what you mean. Like as in, uh, firstly with character straight away, it's easy to do that. And also, especially Mm. if it's a character that's very much um, a puffed up, element of silliness to them they can say cocky things and whatever but because it's coming from that sort of thing you're as an audience able to accept it more it's kind of like how you're gonna find the comedians who maybe have a bit more of a 
working class sound to them, and I'm talking like internationally as well as Australia, or whatever, who yeah. are able to are able to lecture in a lot of ways and able to say smart things, um, like more directly because they come from that background. It doesn't sound as like off putting as maybe it comes from someone who sounds like a bit more. Um, like educated or something like that. Yeah, like, and then I, like, it sounds I'm, like talking down. Yeah, yeah. So it's like if it's like even like I mean even all the way to like I guess Ricky Gervais is probably a good example that's pretty popular. Mm. Like as in he doesn't have a posh sort of accent, so when he talks, he can kind of have that arrogance to him. But because it's coming from that position, it doesn't sound as like off-putting. I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a like I've always thought that in comedy, it's interesting how the character that you are, and which is just him, and it's it's like yeah, who you are can mean that you actually can't say the same stuff as someone else purely because of how it comes across or how you're perceived. Um, yeah, so- I think I do always have a feeling like I and and I think this is why I've struggled a lot with writing stand up in the last few years. Um, is just like I never know what what my like you know I, I think i'm overthinking it though a lot but like i never know what my angle should be and i think because i don't want to sound preachy i try to like i try to say things that are really dumb and try to like make it sound like i'm like i'm you know i just either Sup, i don't get y'all? <laughs> yeah 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 and so then and then, so i haven't quite found the fit i think I, I probably just need to stop thinking about it and then just talk about things until until i go oh yeah that's a funny thing and then i'll just take that and try to expand on it <laughs> <laughs> rather than like be like what would my angle be on this yeah 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 like i know like i get i mean i think so like you're actively when you do that you're trying to think what is my take to be different on this is that kind of what you're doing as you're sitting there yeah but it's like it's like what will my take be without you know but then i'll put like what would my take be and then but without wanting to sound like a guy who yeah is talking down and without wanting to sound like you know, this kind of person or this kind of person like that. So I'm putting too many like restrictions on myself rather than just going like, all right, I'll just talk about it and figure out, you know, figure out where the jokes are. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, or like, or I'm like, or I, or I spend too much time going, I should try and just say the opposite of what I mean. That way it doesn't, there's no way I could possibly be preaching. <laughs> and, and I just kind of, yeah, I, I get caught up in this kind of dumb shit like that. All right. No, I can, like, I understand where you're coming from. And even that logic of saying, I'll say the opposite can work because it means that you can kind of say the opposite in a way which is ironic and stuff. Um, yeah. And that can work totally. Yeah. Uh, but I, because I, I've got, I, like I said, I've, I suffer the same problem sometimes um, with when I'm writing in that. So one of the things I try to do is, like, I, I, the way I frame it in my head, I'm more like, oh, how can I say this in a way which gets across to the audience what they want them? Like, how do I get past the preconceptions and stuff like that? So I don't think of it in a, what you call it? Yeah, I try not to think of it negatively. I'm more like, how can I get across my thing and understand where they're coming from as well so they can understand where yeah. I'm coming from? So I'm not trying to fake it. I'm more just trying to get that middle point between us and obviously have jokes as well. Yeah, the whole way. and I think like, thinking about the audience a bit more is definitely a good idea. Yeah, at least in the sense that like, you know, to not be, because uh, yeah, my problem is sometimes I can be a bit too abstract in my reasoning. I'm like, isn't it funny this thing? And then I just sit in this thought exercise, which is too kind of out there, um, especially, and not because like, oh, I'm so smart and out there for people. It's more like, uh, you got to help people understand what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> so grounding it in stuff can be helpful. So rather than doing conceptual, oh, you know, how some guys are kind of like this, be like my mate did this. 
and straight away yeah. you're gr- but even in the way you describe it you're going to describe it better so it's like it's you yeah one of the problems is i can sometimes assume the other person can read my mind which i have to get past as well i'm like making too many assumptions about them um sure yeah i know yeah we can't yeah it's a it's a it's always a problem but you know i think i think yeah you're right to try to ground things more into reality that's also a new thing that i had to also do because i think i like to exist in this kind of abstract world as well because i would like oh, it'd be great if i didn't have to talk about my life and that's a, another big struggle that i have i would love to just come up with jokes that are just like you know because i have like one that's like you know it's like oh and then uh, i saw a duck impersonator whatever like that kind of shit like that yeah um, um, I wish like there's a part of me that would love to just be able to do jokes like that and then but then I realize but also the, the the flavor of the world right now the way that they kind of what they what you know what seems to kind of get any kind of success <laughs> in mm-hmm. in a stand-up right now is kind of you know people who are a lot more being real truth tellery type things like that that and there isn't as much uh, importance on heavy hitting jokes <laughs> Really? Is there anyone uh, in particular you're thinking of when you say? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, no, I'm no, just, just saying. That's, just a general uh, idea. Just an abstract concept. What, yeah. <laughs> just as an abstract concept. Yeah. That's what I f- feel like I've noticed. Um, Abstractly. No, look, I think I, I don't know if I enti- – like I know what you mean. Like in, it is always going to be more effective because of the fact that it, you can tie someone to a personality, which is what people want to come along and see um, mm. versus – I mean Seinfeld just brought out his new special on Netflix. Um which is so Seinfeld. It's so, so It is Seinfeld. really Seinfeld. And like, I think even as I'm watching it, I'm like, I totally respect this as a craft and an art form, like what he's doing in terms of like, it's, it's someone who's done that for 40 years or whatever. So he's, he's very good at it. Uh, but at the same time, like this probably isn't the exact style that I would personally find um, the best. I don't mind a little bit yeah. of personality. Like I think, like, but, but then going back to what you're saying, I think the best example that I think of where I've seen someone do kind of a bit of both whimsy but with their own personal thing um james acaster yeah i love seen? some james acaster. yeah yeah i reckon he he manages to balance the two he's not being like he's like ah, oh, yeah my girlfriend blah 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 although his recent show is more like that but it's still it's still got that element of whimsy to it but it's not like just straight up joke 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 you know what i mean like as in it's not how are we in yeah, the stores or something? Yeah, I absolutely. Yeah, I would think I think I was modeling the stand-up show I was going to try and do at this year's comedy festival a little bit on Acaster because I was like, oh, this is kind of what I've always been wanting to do. It is just bits, but then he is anchoring it in reality with having that kind of, you know, fake real life kind of thread throughout it, but then it turns out to be kind of real life in a way. It's a metaphor for his real life or whatever. And then, but then also just allowing, you know, just being able to take like, you know, he had that little idea about um, a guy, you know, was, was it like a, one of the more confident, the most confident people all have a secret. And uh, this guy was super confident because his name was Sean. And, you know, his secret is that he knows how to spell his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of thing. And he, it's like those little, that, that kind of thing is kind of like just a one liner. But what he's managed to do is he's managed to anchor it as a character, you know, like trait in somebody in his story mm. and then use that same trait uh, th- that same joke on another character later on in the show to just like to really wrap it up and just make that bit so worthwhile <laughs> yeah yeah to actually add get more out of it like as in it's to actually mm. develop it even further 
by incorporating into a story. And that's and that's kind of what I mean by about like saying how, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be true, but making it about a real thing, even if it's like not a real thing as in I'd had to have happened to my mate, but grounding yeah. it in reality in that sense reveals more you can do with it and actually adds more flavor to the overall concept kind of. So no, yeah, I, I think agree. you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I reckon you I reckon uh, look look, I'm, sounds like I'm looking forward to your comedy show next year. <laughs> By then it is gonna well, be tight. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, we'll see. Let's see. Well with all the gigging I will have done. Yeah, look, I, I'm still on the fence about whether there will even be a comedy festival <laughs> next year. Yeah. But that's a topic well, for for another day. I think uh totally. you know you know you know you know this show is meant to be about us discussing a book. <laughs> the book, yeah. Well, <laughs> we, you know. We've gone off. In a way, in a way we're like we know we we're we're talking about the the you know the, the the style that he chose to write this book in, exactly. uh, Fear of Death, which is a huge thread through it and possibly and one of the reasons why I love that book. Yeah, yeah. We've actually have touched upon a lot of it thematically rather than yeah. um, <laughs> directly, which is the point of this show, actually, because like, you don't like a book because the character's name's... Yeah, the main character's name's Alistair. This is why this is my favorite book. <laughs> that's, that's usually not how that works. That'd be a great reason for someone to love a book. It would be, yeah. <laughs> I love, I'm going to find him, whoever that is, uh, figure them out. But I think I should probably wrap this up since we've been going for a while now. Um, so is there anything, <laughs> I guess, anything else you want to add? If, has this illuminated anything further about the book and yourself? You know, um, I think it has. I think... Uh... I think I, you've, you've made me realize that I not. I mean, I also I, I like the book because it's funny, but I think also because I there's an element in which I actually uh, look up to the writer of the book because I feel like he's managed to make something funny in a way that I don't know how to do, and so I think that there's an element where I'm like, I feel like there's something I can learn from this book, and also to be able to write something with, that doesn't need to have that kind of hero's journey, blah blah blah. Mm. Um, also, I find. You know, so so in a way, it's like maybe this guy is just. I like it because it's he's laying a career, a potential career path in front of me, uh, <laughs> or at least showing you the potential that that exists. Yeah, yeah, and I think also discovering any kind of new comedy that excites you is kind of, uh, if you're in the field of comedy, is something that's <laughs> that's uh, very exciting because it's not that often that that happens. Actually, you made me uh, kind of want to check out this book now. Yeah, I mean, see if see if you find it funny. There's there's like. Because I felt like I was laughing a lot at it. I found the the way that the people were so confidently saying things and that nobody ever, <laughs> never called them on their bullshit because everybody was just so full of shit. Yeah, is made me laugh so much. But I don't know. I don't know if other people find it as funny as I did. Oh, I'm like we can check it out and find out. Okay, cool. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of this episode. We've uh, touched on a few different topics. <laughs> And, yeah. and and just just you know what you know what I want to end on. I want to tell you right now, you're not a rock, okay, Alistair. <laughs> you're, you're not, <laughs> I'm not a even a slab cell. of meat on a rock. No, you're more than that. All right, oh. you're at least a single-celled organism in my books. Right, you see, yeah. that's very nice of you. That's People okay. don't compliment me like that uh, on on most podcasts, so this is really nice. Yeah, well, that's what we do here. <laughs> right. Thanks so much for being on. Um, yeah, and in, hopefully you get to finish this next book, and we can maybe talk about that next time. Sure. In the next seven years, I'll get I'll get onto finishing one, and I'll and we can do that episode. Once your kids in university, you got to be free time. You'll be laughing. It's gonna be sweet. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Cheers. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.